God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you today, we pray. Oh Lord, thank you that you're a welcoming God. Thank you that we can share that good news with each other today and be a welcoming people. In your name, amen. As you see in your front cover of your bulletin, there's two signs. One, no soliciting, and one that says welcome. And down below, God's welcome sign is always there. Those signs are common signs that we see today probably on houses, maybe on your house. I don't know if you've got one of these or not, but this one says no soliciting. This used to be on our house. And the story behind this is there was a young man coming around. He said he was making these and he was trying to make some extra money for his life. And he's making them and he said he's helping people to keep people from bothering them. And so he said, uh, if you just give me a donation, I'll put this by your doorbell. Well, I kind of felt sorry for him, the young guy trying to make some money. So I gave him a donation and he stuck it up by our doorbell. Well, it said no soliciting. It's been there for several years, but now the townhouses are being painted, and of course you can't have anything on the, the uh, walls outside, on the, uh, the uh, walls, on the, so you've got to get all, everything off of it, so we had to take this off, and I decided I'm not going to put it back up again, because it's not a very welcoming sign, and you see, what really a sign that we could have up is welcome, a nice sign like this that says welcome. Now, you see, this word soliciting can be a good word, but its root word, its root meaning is do not, or rather, the root meaning just of solicit is disturb. Don't, if you say no to soliciting, you mean don't disturb me. So if you got this on your house, it says don't disturb me. Don't knock on my door. Don't seek to obtain by persuasion something I don't want. So in other words, JWs, Mormon missionaries, salesmen, the vacuum cleaner salesmen, all these people don't knock on my door when I put this there. But it could mean, the word solicit could mean, have a good meaning, like seek and request, pray, beg for, which we can go to God for. But when it says no soliciting, it means I don't want to be disturbed. The word welcome, on the other hand, comes from a root word meaning to gladly receive. You're glad to have someone come. When you say welcome, you say, I'm glad to have you here. I really welcome you. It's really good to meet you. It's a friendly greeting. So these signs can mean two different things. So if you have this sign on your door, that's okay. Maybe you don't want to be, have anybody disturbing you or to welcome you. But it's interesting. I've seen several signs over the years. Down the street, a couple of houses down from us, there's a sign on the door that says, hello. And one off to the side, it says, welcome. Now that porch looks like a welcoming place compared to the one that says, no soliciting. It's interesting when that, those signs came up and walking down our streets and around our, our uh, housing unit, a lot of people made a donation to the young man and they got no soliciting signs up. You go to some communities or some apartment houses and it says right before you even enter, no soliciting. In other words, don't be disturbing the people in this complex. There's also, there was a house in Montana, in a little town south of us where we lived when I'd make calls down that area. And 
I certainly didn't want to go in that yard. A big white sign, hand-painted, and there's a driveway going back to the house. And I certainly would not have gone down that driveway because the big sign, a black uh, handmade print, no peddlers, no missionaries, no uh, salesmen, and on the bottom, no preachers. I figured I wouldn't go down that road. And then we had a vicar that served us one year, and he was telling about his parents living in a farm on Saskatchewan, and they were always bothered by salesmen. So his dad put up a big sign at the gate going down to their farm. It said, we shoot every third salesman. The second one just left. <laughs> so obviously if you were a salesman, you didn't want to go down that lane. But now think about the gospel lesson today. Everywhere Jesus went, the people flocked to him. They wanted what he offered. He was bringing healing, inspiration, coming for the needy, sharing the good news of God's love. And they were coming and going, it says in the text. But notice when we read that this morning and heard that read, it said they were so busy taking care of people that they didn't even have time to eat. Disciples couldn't even eat. Now suppose Jesus had put up a sign up there then and said to the people coming to him, no soliciting, don't disturb me. I can't be disturbed. But he didn't do that, did he? He had a welcome sign because it says in the text that he had compassion on them. That word compassion means gut-level feeling of sorrow of these people. And he had that gut-level feeling because he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have any, know what to do or where to go or what to do. And so then it says he began to teach them many things. It doesn't say what he taught them, but it says he taught them many things. And now notice what happens. They talk, he talked so long and he listens for so long that the darkness started coming, started getting dusk and so forth. And so the disciples said to Jesus, look, Jesus, uh, it's getting late. You know, people don't have flashlights here in this culture. You can't get home the night in the dark. You better let them go so they can go to the surrounding towns and get something to eat because they're probably hungry. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What? All these people, you're going to feed them? They said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? 200 denarii was three-fourths of a year's wage of one person. A lot of money, huh? Three-fourths of a year's wage, 200 denarii, to buy the bread for all these people. And Jesus said to them, well, check it out. How many loaves you got? So they found five loaves of bread, which would be baked bread in their ovens in those days, probably something like this size, and uh, two dried fish, no doubt, salted and dried. And he said, we got five breads and two fish. Now he says, sit down, people, in groups. And they sat down, and now the amazing thing was, can't you imagine how scared the disciples might have been? I mean, he says, go feed them. Well, the disciples probably figured in their basket, he puts and gave it to them in their baskets they had. The baskets were probably pretty big baskets they carried a lot of stuff in. And he says, here's a little bit of fish here, a little bit of bread here. Now he says, go feed them. Now the disciples probably thought, whoa, I feed a couple of people, it's going to be gone, and the rest of them are going to be angry. Maybe they'll beat, beat us up because they can't get any food. People riot when they don't have food. But Jesus said, go feed them. 
Can't you imagine the amazement of the disciples? They reached in and gave the first person some fish and some bread. The next person, the next, oops, it keeps going. The next person, it kept, the basket kept full, and they kept going and going until they fed all the people. And then they still had a full basket when they got done. Twelve full baskets, it says. Notice Jesus here, what he's doing. First, he gives them a spiritual presentation. He taught them. He shared the kingdom of God with the people. And then he fed them. He, kept, he looked out for their physical needs and their spiritual needs. And he fed them. And of course, this should remind them of the Old Testament when the Israelites were out in the wilderness and they were without food and they complained and God sent down quail and bread every day. And now Jesus feeds the people. He takes care of them. And in the epistle lesson, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, Paul says to the Ephesians and to us, you who are once or far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ has gotten, brought us back to God the Father, what Jesus did for us on the cross and paid for our sins. For he himself is our peace. Yeah, God is our peace through Jesus Christ, who brings to us the real message of love and compassion. And so by, and then he finishes the section off, in him you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles and all the people together, one unit, one unity in Jesus Christ. And then in the psalm, this is a beautiful psalm, I hear it so many times, at funerals especially, and at times when we want to share people or when I'm calling on sick people, I read this a lot of times to them, or people in their homes. But notice how this psalm works. The very first verse says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want. In other words, I don't have any other needs because Jesus is my shepherd. He takes care of everything. I'm in good hands, the psalmist says. I don't have to want anything. It's all taken care of by the good shepherd. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life for you. You're that important. He died for your sins on the cross that you can have eternal life and he rose again that you might live with him in heaven. And all these other things, there's 10 things here that follow in the psalm, are all blessings for you because you don't, because the Lord is your shepherd and you don't have any wants. And you know what they are. Lay down in green pastures, restore my soul, paths of righteousness, the way we walk through valleys. He anoints our head <coughs> and goodness and mercy shall follow us and we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All these are promises that are ours because the Lord is my shepherd. What a blessing we have as Christians, as compassionate people who've been given compassion by Jesus Christ himself. So isn't it amazing and wonderful that Jesus has a welcome sign out for us and, it doesn't, and he has a sign that says welcome. He does not say no soliciting. Now, there's a little story about a seminary professor who wanted to teach a seminary class. He's seminary students preparing to ministry. He wanted to teach some kind of a lesson about taking care and having compassion. There are 15 students in the class and so he divided them into three groups, five each. And he told, got the first group outside and he said to the classroom, <coughs> he said, I want you to go across the campus and I want you to go across to Stewart Hall. And he says, you've got 15 minutes to get over there. And if you're late, your grade's going to be affected. So these 
five students took off. Then he brought the other five out a few months later, and he said, I want you to go over to Stewart Hall, but you've got 45 minutes to get there. After they left, a few minutes passed, he brought the third group out, and he said, I want you to go to Stewart Hall, but you got three hours to get there. In the meantime, of course, what they didn't know was he had three drama students ready to act out on the way there. Shortly after they left the seminary class, the first person they met was a person holding his head, moaning and groaning, and oh, 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 like he was really in pain. The second person they met down on the campus was a person lying on the ground as if unconscious. And the third person that he had acting out for them was on the steps of Stuart Hall acting out a seizure. So he had these three drama students playing this role. Now, group number one, who had 15 minutes to get to Stuart Hall, walked by all three of them, and not a one stopped to help. No one stopped. Group two that had 45 minutes to get to Stuart Hall, two out of the five stopped to help these people who were in need. And group number three, who had three hours, all of them stopped and helped each one. Now the lesson to learn from these seminarians was, how do I respond to daily interruptions? How prepared am I to be interrupted and to reach out and love to those in need around me? If I'm in a hurry and so full of things to do, perhaps I miss the opportunity to minister. And this is what the professor was trying to teach his seminarians. And he suggested maybe they should begin the day with a prayer saying, God, feel free to interrupt my agenda today at any time to meet someone's need. Maybe that's a good prayer to start out with, huh? Lord, interrupt me if, I need to, if you need to help somebody. You see, we live in a hurried culture. And we always then go, got to go somewhere and do something. Even though we got such technological, technological wonders, we still are always in a hurry. We're always going fast. But we don't always know where we're going. We don't always know what we're doing. Are we concerned with others? Are we concerned with those who need our compassion? Those who are suffering around us? Are we people of compassion, like Jesus, who had compassion on the people for both their spiritual and their physical needs? It just wasn't his spiritual needs, giving them a sermon and talking and teaching to them and then sending them out in the dark to go home. No, he fed them. Physical food. Now, I don't know if you're aware of all the things that we do here in the church. We do a number of things that help meet people's physical needs and their spiritual needs. Obviously, worship and teaching and Bible class. But there's also something else we do. Maybe you're not always aware of the fact that we do reach out to the physical needs of people around us. Jim Wiedemann, you know, takes coats and warm clothes downtown to the homeless every Christmas time and collects those from us. And we share clothing, warm clothing and warm coats with people. We have the clothes closet up here now that Kristen has set up and people are bringing donations. It's really amazing how many are in the modular D up here and people bring them to share. And then people from the community come and they get them free. There's no exchange of money. 
They can come in and help themselves to whatever they want, whatever they need, those especially that can't afford to buy certain things. And we were getting all kinds of things, car chairs, car seats, clothes, furniture, different things. And then we have the food pantry that Jennifer handles. When people come by to get gift cards of restaurants, gas, or food box that we can give to them. So we do meet out, reach out, and God has blessed those, those ministries that we do. But what about us individually when we're walking and going somewhere or seeing people? Do we stop and have compassion? Jesus teaches an example here in the gospel of compassion for people. Not only give them the spiritual message of salvation and life eternal in heaven, but also to provide for them on their journey in life. We have a responsibility. We may feel, or we may see suffering, but do we feel it? The word compassion is Jesus felt it. He felt the people were like sheep without a shepherd. To illustrate that point, there's a story of the photographer who came upon a man who was choking. And he says, what a picture. A man alone, in need. What a message. So he fumbled around trying to get his camera and his light meter out and everything. And the man grabbed him, got the photographer's arm, and he says, look, he says, I'm turning blue. Well, that's right, said the photographer. I'm shooting color film. What does Jesus want us to do? What about the people that we run across every day and see? It's interesting how the needs are out there and how things have changed over the years. On the news recently, local news, they were talking about how downtown Portland has changed drastically and the police department is blaming the mayor and so forth because half of the crimes in downtown Portland are committed by homeless and half the arrest. And Pioneer Square, they're saying, is being taken over by the homeless people, the panhandlers, and nobody wants to go downtown anymore. So the stores can't sell products. Nobody's shopping as much as they used to. People aren't going down to the restaurants, and so people are starting to complain. Because Pioneer Square is called Portland's living room. So what do we care? What do we, what do, we do about that? What should we do? Well, there's no easy answer. The city doesn't know what to do, but it's getting overwhelming, not only in Portland, but in other cities all around our country, because what's happening? Trash. They're being, our cities are being trashed. If you look around where they, they, they sleep and so forth, needles from drugs, they're on drugs. These are sad people without a shepherd. Perhaps we should say, where's the church in all this? What are the churches doing to minister to these people? Why are they on drugs? Why do they seek something that does not give them lasting peace when Jesus is the source of peace, when Jesus is the one they should be turning to? What is our responsibility? How do we feel about that? There's no easy answers to all these questions, but Jesus is the answer. But how do we convey that message? And that's the struggle the church is in today because what do we do in this culture? And how do we face the culture? Do we sometimes miss what we should be doing, even maybe to our neighbors, to our friends, to somebody at school, to somebody at work? 
you know, there was a story of the devout monk, Bell Monastery, which was used as an illustration to help teach the other monks to show them an example. This story goes like this. This monk wanted to go on a spiritual retreat, and he wanted to go somewhere desolate to spend a couple months to be alone with God. And so he chose to go to an island, and so he went to an island to get closer to God. Several months later, there were two monks on the shore, and they saw the monk come walking on water, coming towards them through the lake, and he got up on the shore, and he walked right by them, and he went over to the monastery. And one of the monks said to the other, all these months in prayer, and he is still as stingy as ever. The fairy only cost a dollar. You see, sometimes we miss the significance of something that is right in front of us. And that was the lesson of this story. We can miss the significance of something that's right in front of us. What is in front of us? What's in front of you and me? There's a humanity out there, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, who need compassion, who need a welcoming sign. And how welcoming are we? There's another legend about involving monks, but it also illustrates the point. It's an ancient story been told down through the years, but this supposedly monk found a precious stone, and he put it in his bag, his traveling bag like, and carried it around. And he met a traveler, and the traveler was hungry. And this traveler asked him for help. And when the monk opened his sack, the traveler saw this precious stone, and he says, can I have that stone? I'd like to have that precious stone. Well, the monk gave it to him. The traveler was really happy. He got a precious stone. Wow, and you walked off. But a few weeks later, he came back to the monk. And he said to the monk, here's your stone, your precious stone. He says, please give me something more valuable than this precious stone. Please give me that which enabled you to give me this precious stone. In other words, what was in this monk's heart that he would do this? This other person, want, the traveler, wanted that. Why would someone give up a precious stone to a stranger, to a hungry person? And so he came back and says, I want that. And see, that's what Jesus had, compassion for you and me. Why did he give up his home in the heavens and come down here? Because he wanted to save you, because you're precious. He died for you on the cross for your forgiveness and to give you eternal life. He had compassion on you and me and our sinful condition. He was willing to give it all up and to shed his blood and be the sacrifice to pay for our sins. So it's a good use of that word, solicit. Disturb God. Go ahead. Disturb him. Pray to him. Seek him. Solicit him. Because he's the God who welcomes. So maybe we should take these signs and maybe we should... I should change this and say, soliciting welcome. And let people knock on my door. Let them come and seek. Because 
A welcoming heart is what Jesus has. And he says, solicit. He doesn't say no. He says, solicit me. You're invited to solicit Jesus, just like the people did in the gospel lesson today. They came from all over it because they wanted to hear what he had. He had something special. He's got good news for you. God loves you, he wants to tell you. I died for you. I forgive you. I give you the gift of eternal life. So submit to a God who welcomes. Now, I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you three questions, and just just do this in your mind. Rate yourself on a scale of one to five, okay? Five being the highest, the best, one being the lowest, okay? So how would you rate, just number one, do this mentally, rate yourself, how welcoming am I to letting Jesus Christ take over my life and fill me with his Holy Spirit so that I can be like him? How would you rate yourself? on a scale of one to five. The next thing to think about is, rate yourself one to five on how welcoming am I to other people. And three, again, one to five, How welcome do you feel here at church? How would you rate that? I wish we could have time to share all those numbers and see what they come out to be, but something to think about. When we think about Jesus being a welcoming, loving God, his sign is welcome. You're welcome. Gladly receives you into his presence. He gladly gives you his blessings. He gives you his forgiveness, his love, his mercy. It's all yours, free. Paid for him by his love on the cross. So how about we start all the more becoming welcoming people. To welcome people that we see during the week, not just in church, but during the week. To be welcoming in our neighborhood wherever we are, work, school, whatever it may be, that we have a sense of welcome in our hearts and lives. Because that's who Jesus wants us to be. He wants his presence in us. May God bless you as you go through your journey in life, remembering Jesus' compassion for the people that he taught them and he fed them. He had compassion on them because he said, look, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He became the good shepherd. And he wants to be your good shepherd. So you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. May God grant it to all of us for Jesus' sake. Amen.